Is it Treliving on a Edge? Treliving on a Prayer? Mm. I'm not I don't really know. sure. We need something, though, from I hope he's not Brad a, Treliving. I hope he's not at a lonely end of a rink. I certainly hope that. We need... Uh, I, want him, I want him in the mix, in the pit, making deals. Yeah, we. well, you know what? I, I trust he'll be involved. I trust he'll be very, Scratching very something on the back of a napkin, sliding yeah. it over. He just might have to be a little stealthy. Airplanes. Or he might just have to lean on his connections with Calgary and just take what he sees fit as useful at this point. To discuss the Leafs process and more, because a lot's going on in Nashville, let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That's EJ Raddick, senior reporter, NHL Network, and co-host of NHL Now, which runs Monday to Friday at 4 p.m. on our air. Good morning, EJ. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we are doing pretty good. Uh, so let, let's start with the Maple Leafs. I mean, there's a lot to go through. There's the draft tomorrow. There were the NHL awards last night. Uh, but William Nylander has definitely surfaced uh, in terms of interest here in this market. Uh, we talked to Frank Saravelli yesterday. He's talking about, hey, they're full court press here, aggressively going after a contract extension with William Nylander. Uh, when you think about William Nylander and you think about the Toronto Maple Leafs and where they want to and need to go, do you think it's still a really good fit? Or do you think William Nylander should be maybe used as something that can get them more balance to the roster, maybe more depth to the roster, maybe just a different look to a roster that has failed in its last few outings in the postseason? Well, William Nylander, actually, I thought he played fairly well. I think he's played pretty well in the playoffs. I mean, you know, compared to maybe the other core members of that group, uh, he's, he's done okay. The, um, I guess everything comes down to, to term and dollars, right? Like, what's he looking for, and does it make sense based on what their cap situation is? Fortunately, it looks like the cap is going to go up down the road, and the extensions for Nylander and, and uh, Matthews are extensions that wouldn't kick in until next season, right? They're trying to get ahead of it by signing these guys, uh, you know, they're able to sign them or eligible to announce those deals on July 1st. So we'll see if anything happens in that regard. But, uh, you know, I think it just comes down to term and dollars. And if they're able to fill out their roster and, and add the other pieces they need. I mean, I just think we saw the, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, they had some unique circumstances. Uh, you know, they were able to take advantage of an LTIR situation with Mark Stone. But, you know, when you look at their lineup, I mean, that's a deep group. And they've filled out that back portion of their lineup with really uh, helpful players. And uh, their defense is deep and it's big. And I was looking at it yesterday. They're under contract, you know, for another year at least. So, uh, you know, and then they were able to get a great performance from Aiden Hill. So, you know, I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it is about trying to fill in all those other areas. And if you can sign Nylander and it makes sense and you can still do some of those things, great. If you can't, you've got to consider other options. Just like, I guess, you have to look at, uh, you know, Marner, the Mitch Marner situation and say, okay, you know, is, is that a contract we can continue to, to have within our group and fill out other areas that allows us to win Stanley Cup? Because I think at the end of the day for all these teams, you would hope that, that's, you know, winning the Stanley Cup is the – is at the end of the day what uh, the goal is. So I guess that's the best answer I can give you for, for when you talk about Nylander or any of the players on their team is can you fill out the roster to have a championship team with those contracts? And, no, that's the job Brad Tree Living will have to uh, take on. It seems like he's been very vocal about keeping these four guys, the four, four together, so I guess that's his plan. 
Yeah, we, he has been vocal about that when we've heard from him. Uh, based on the scuttlebutt we're hearing, it's that there is actually, you know, some conversation going on there between the two parties. And, you know, Matthews, it seems to be a black box. Uh, there there doesn't seem to be too much coming out about what's what's happening uh, there. The the question I have about, about Nylander is not so much as it pertains to the Leafs, but as it pertains league-wide. Let's just live in a world where he is, quote-unquote, available. You know, I don't think that means Tre Living is calling every team saying, I got to get rid of this guy. What do you got for me? But I think it's a move he is venturing. Is that the best asset kind of available right now? You know, we know draft time is always a time where teams are looking at rejigging their cap picture, but I'd be hard-pressed to find, uh, you know, a sexier asset than William Nylander that, that is borderline available right now. And that, that's what it feels like he is. And if that's the case, you know, it just further hammers home the point of how important it is for Treliving to get that right because it'll be a bit of a market setter if, if he does get it done at the draft. How do you look at Nylander as kind of a comparable to, to other players that, that could be in play this week? Well, I mean, he's an attractive player, right? He's a, he's a offensive talent. Uh, he's young. He's someone that, uh, you know, you're looking at signing. So you're looking at setting the value for him. If you were to acquire him or if it was a, a signing trade or what the Leafs are trying to do is, you know, establish the value moving forward for him. Uh, you know, again, for me, you know, and I, I look at the most value on my team is through the middle, my center's, my defenseman, so my top two centers, my top four defensemen, and then my goaltender is kind of, you know, the spine and the core of my group. And then I fill in around that. And I think when you look at championship teams throughout the history in this league, you'll see kind of a pattern there with those type of things. So um, he's not a centerman. He's a winger. And, you know, for me, I value those guys through the middle. So if you were to move Nylander, you know, what could you get or what package of assets could you get that makes your team better? That's what Brad Tree Living is going to have to weigh moving forward. So I, I don't think he's not an asset you certainly want to give away by any means. But to me, he's a complimentary piece. So that is something, again, if I were running the team, and if that, you know, if that's the way I would look at it, is that he's a complimentary piece. What is the value and can I fill out the rest of that roster? But he's a very talented guy. I think they want to keep him there. I think that, you know, he's the guy that can help you win down the road, but he can only help you win within the, within the parameters of the team that you have and the support that he has around him. So those are all the things that, that I would consider. I don't know if that answers your question necessarily, but, you know, a guy look at, I look at wingers, even really good ones, most of the time as complimentary guys to what you're trying to accomplish. They're important, but I would say certainly a Matthews as a, as a number one center, is, is much more valuable in my mind than Nylander is. Uh, so we counted about 12 or 13 legit NHL players under contract for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now prepared for next season. Uh, it seems like, given that, there's a lot of work here to be done for Brad Living and subtraction might not even be on the table, let's be honest, because it's hard <laughs> to justify taking players off the roster, even if it's a two-for-one scenario, because they are at such a, a deficit when it just goes down to you know warm bodies that are available for next season. So you look at this free agent class, it's not the strongest, but maybe there's some, there's some opportunities Opportunity to take advantage of the depths of this free agent class and add a bunch of players. But when you look at priority number one here for Brad Living, 
because Rome's not going to be built in a day here. Like, I don't think they can put the roster that they're going to have in the playoffs together by September 1st, first rather, or the start of training camp. What do you think Brad Living should prioritize over the next couple of weeks here to ensure that he's put some steps in the right direction towards building a team that can get back to the playoffs and do some damage potentially? Well, I think he's got to prioritize the situation with Austin Matthews. I mean, that's your number one center. So you've got to figure out, you know, if that's going to, if that's going to, if he's going to continue to be in that role and what the value is. And I think that has to get done because that's going to set the table for things around that. It's going to set the table, I think, for what you do with Nylander. It's going to set the table with what you do moving forward with some of the other players that you have under contract on your team. After that, I just think you're looking to build out your group. You're looking to find, I think you're looking to find better bottom six players that have defined roles within your group that bring either an asset of speed or size or a combination of both, if you can find that. But those are the type of players. And they're out there. I mean, think about what what the Vegas Golden Knights did picking up a guy like Nick Waugh. Nobody thought of that acquisition as really that important, right? When they got him from the Carolina Hurricanes, they eventually signed him to a, a longer-term deal at a very reasonable price. He is an incredibly helpful player for that team. I mean, he's someone that can play on the second power play. He's centered the fourth line. He's really someone that can really help you in the third line, but he's a big, long, uh, pretty good skater, just a helpful player to your team. And they got him in a very kind of a under, you know, not something that people paid attention to. I mean, we, we don't, we weren't, we weren't talking about, Oh, babe, Vegas was able to get Nick Waugh a couple of years ago, but he was a really helpful piece. So I think players like that are out there, whether they're in the minor leagues or they're trying to find places in other teams. And I think that's also part of the job. It's part of everyone's job in this league as a manager to try to fill out your roster. So that'll be Brad Tree living's job as well is to try to find those pieces that make sense underneath those star players that have defined roles that can help the Maple Leafs have an identity that could eventually be a winning identity. But I think to your point, to your question, job one, I think it has to start with your number one center and where he's going to be in the future. So that to me is, is, is the, is the thing that has to get taken care of above all else. Fan morning show, Brent Cunning, Justin Cuthbert, talking to EJ Hradick of the NHL Network. Uh, Going to move on, talk to you about other teams, but tomorrow uh, we will, just for everybody listening, we'll have plenty of Leafs talk. Uh, Doug Gilmore, Dion Phaneuf, and Nazem Kadri all going to join us at various times while we're on site wow. at the uh, Joe Carter Classic. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it does make us sound good when we're talking to you, like, look at all it these does. big studs we got. And EJ on with us now, all in the exact same well, ilk. Thank you. Yes, all thank in the exact you. same ilk. Now, I think, <laughs> I think the answer to this question I'm about to ask you is no but if this were another league like the nba or even the nfl there would be teams saying i'm not doing anything until austin matthews puts pen to paper on a contract extension because i want to keep my powder dry should he be available in free agency or should there be a trade to be made do you think there will be some type of fallout effect let's say let's say matthews and the leafs at some point in time this summer were able to get a contract extension done be it for three years five years who, who knows what it ends up being for do you think that that will have a cascading effect on business getting done for other teams across the league? Or do you think that with everybody or at least most capable teams pretty close to the cap, it just, it doesn't work that way in the NHL. I would say for most teams, it, it doesn't work that way. Right. Because most teams, you know, if you're, you're a general manager for a team, you have to live in the real world as to what the likelihood of, of getting a player like that is. And, you know, some teams are set up that, it's just that's not going to work 
under any circumstance. They have players in those roles, and they're they're happy with them. Other teams, they're rebuilding. They're not places that 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 are likely going to be a, a place that Austin Matthews wants to go, right? But there are probably a couple of teams that look at it and say, you know, let's be let's be ready, let's be nimble if this opportunity comes our way. So I'm sure there are a handful of those teams. They have to do business now, but I think that they might have an eye on that. But I would say that that number is is a small one, and I would say it's certainly less than five around the league that would look at it that way. But, uh, you know, I think the smart general managers are always the ones that are trying to keep themselves, again, nimble uh, cap-wise moving forward to make a to make a move like that if it becomes available. Okay, let's look around the league a little bit here. EJ, uh, big move yesterday with Taylor Hall being traded from Boston to Chicago. It seems to fill the needs of both teams. I mean, Chicago doesn't want it to be a barren wasteland when Connor Bedard shows up, and I get all that. And Boston shed some salary as it looks to uh, maintain its level from last year as best it can. Uh, I guess we'll talk from the Chicago standpoint because it's kind of obvious what's happening with Boston. They want to keep their guys and they want to, you know, maybe round out that group a little bit. And they found that, you know, Taylor Hall was, uh, they could, you know, they could drop him and feel okay about it. But with Bedard, uh, you know, is, is Taylor Hall the perfect fit for a guy who's trying to dip his toes into the water and be an immediate impact guy, do you see Taylor Hall as a complementary piece that will work well for Connor Bedard as he looks to make the transition from Major Junior to the National Hockey League? Well, it's hard to predict chemistry amongst players, right? But I would say this. He's a former first overall pick that ended up, uh, you know, was in Edmonton where there was obviously a lot of scrutiny, who understands all the different things and all the different challenges that Connor Bedard will have moving forward. So I think he can be a helpful player for him on the ice. They may mesh as players on the ice. That's to be determined. But I think the real value of having Taylor Hall there is his, uh, his ability to help mentor uh, Connor Bedard and to be there for him. And, you know, he was, he was somebody that played very well with Nico Heischer when he came in the league with the Devils. And, uh, you know, as a first overall pick, certainly not it was not someone who was as ballyhooed as Connor Bedard, but nonetheless, uh, you know, a first overall pick who carried the pressure of, of that into his season. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, it makes a lot of sense for Kyle Davidson. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope that for Taylor Holt's sake, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. I thought he was really happy in Boston. Uh, he's at the stage of his career that probably winning is more of a priority than some other things right now. So, Hopefully for Taylor Hall, personally, he embraces this. Um, we will see. He's got two years left on a deal. So at worst-case scenario for him, he goes in there and starts the process of, of being kind of a mentor uh, and, and, and being also showcasing his own skills mm-hmm. as well over the next several months, and we'll see where it plays out for him. Yeah, you know, I uh, I got a soft spot for Taylor Hall. I was in Windsor going to college or university there when uh, when when he was winning a couple of Memorial Cups. So always a soft spot for me. And I think in a kind of perfect scenario for him, he gets off and running with Chicago and maybe they're able to retain some salary and move him somewhere at the deadline, be it this deadline coming up or, or one after that. I think that'd be kind of a, a perfect scenario for, for all parties in, involved. You know, in terms of, uh, I'll just throw up an open-ended one to you. Uh, in the next coming day, 
days here, uh, tonight and then leading into the draft or the first round of it anyways tomorrow. Who's the team that's most interesting to to you? You know, the Blues have a lot of first-round picks. Philly's been talking. They've been busy. Both of them been talking with each other. Uh, two, two easy candidates there. But who's the most interesting team to you over the next kind of 48 hours? You know, it's funny, you know, Philly and, and, and St. Louis trying to work that deal and, and Tory Krug reportedly – uh, was not going to waive that no trade clause to go or no move or no trade to go to Philadelphia. And I, I tell you what, I wouldn't either. <laughs> I mean, at this stage of his career, to go into a complete rebuild with completely new management people there and to be playing for John Tortorella, quite frankly. I mean, if you're if you're Tory Krug, I mean, that could take your turn your career into a, you know, down another path that you may not want to go down. So for me... I, I don't blame them for uh, for doing that. We'll see if anything happens further with that. Um, I think I think Winnipeg to me with the situation with those players there uh, is something that's going to be really interesting to watch. It's going to affect a lot of teams around the league in terms of where those guys go and what other opportunities might open. When you think about the Dubois situation, uh, Hellebuck, Shifley, um, you know Wheeler. I mean, how that all plays out. Calgary's got a kind of in a similar situation with players that are apparently not uh, interested in doing uh, extensions there. So I think those are certainly two. We talked already about the Matthews situation. That's going to be something that with each passing day that he doesn't do an extension is going to get to be a heavier weight for that franchise to have to deal with. Um, you know, so those are the ones that come to mind right away for me. I, you know, th- this is going to be interesting because there's those are, I just mentioned multiple players that are, high-end players that are coming to the end of contracts in a very interesting time because the cap isn't going up a lot this year, but it looks like it'll be going up, you know, in subsequent seasons. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting moves to be made, but I, cert- I, I think in Winnipeg that's the one that I'm really – because that thing hasn't changed a lot over the last bunch of years, and they're talking about a significant move when you think of the four players that they're likely going to be moving out of there before uh, before the end of the summer. Yeah, let's hover over uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois for a second. Uh, It's fascinating and tantalizing, honestly, thinking about a a middle uh, or up the middle in L.A. being Andre Kopitar, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Philip Deneau. It sounds great on paper, but, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's not as simple as the guy who uh, was a rock star in the bubble against Tampa Bay and at times has been a really, really dominant force in the NHL, I wonder, in your opinion, is this the guy LA should be working so hard to get and, and, and making you know concessions on their roster in order to land? Do you think he turns the tables a little bit in the Pacific Division with teams like Vegas and Edmonton? Maybe, honestly, one, two in the Western Conference, maybe the two favorites you know, to potentially win the Stanley Cup next season. Uh, do you think it moves the needle if Pierre-Luc Dubois lands in LA? Yeah, I mean, I think it does move the needle because from a playing standpoint, I mean, this is a big, strong center iceman that uh, can score goals. And, uh, you know, you think about the competition you just mentioned, Vegas, we, took, we watched them with that big, strong defense. I mean, you've got to have players that can get in on those guys and battle them and, and create space and create room and, and create offense against them. So, I mean, I think Rob Blake and company look at it and say, hey, this is a guy that's available, that um, – could come here and could be a really good fit as Kopitar kind of, you know, moves into the back end of his career. And they have Phil Deneau also, who is a, you know, a terrific two-way centerman. It's kind of funny, by the way. I know a lot has been made about the voting last night in the awards. Phil Deneau only got three votes 
for Selkie. I'm not saying he should get he should have had you know, should have won, but he should have had more than three mm. points, I guess, in the voting system. I thought that was kinda of odd because he's such a really talented uh defensive center and two way player. But um yeah, I think it does move the needle. It'll depend on what the cost is. They are moving some people around. But at the end of the day, I mean, in this league, we, uh, the bigger, stronger player is valuable, clearly. And the bigger, stronger centerman or bigger, stronger defenseman is valuable. I think we saw uh, there was a stretch of time when, because the rules have kind of changed, the smaller player was more in, was making more inroads in this league. And, and that was great to see. I think what's happening over the last several years now, especially watching from a development standpoint, I did some youth hockey coaching, so I see kind of the skill train that goes on. The bigger player is now just as skilled in many ways as the smaller player. So now it's another challenge for the smaller player to kind of find ways to be to be helpful. It's a 32-team league, so there's a lot of different opportunities as you're talking about the very best players. So the point is for me, if you could make your team bigger and stronger and skilled, and I think Pierre-Luc Dubois has all those factors, makes a big difference for an LH Kings team that's looking to, to try to stop an Edmonton Oilers or try to stop a Vegas Golden Knights in that division and maybe win a Stanley Cup. The concern and talking to, to different players, colleagues of mine that played in the league, you know, this is someone that has kind of played his way out of two places, wasn't happy, and you'd be concerned that, okay, is this, is this someone that is going to be – you know, two years from now, going to be thinking about moving out of here. So that would be my my concern. But I guess that's something that that management, whoever is going to, you know, look to to bring him in, is going to have to you know address that at some point. From a playing standpoint, though, you mentioned it: Kopitar, Dubois, you know, through the middle. That's a pretty good group of centers. Yeah, if he's pining for Montreal in eighteen months, uh, there might be some buyer's uh, remorse. Last one for you, yeah. EJ. Um, Matt Vey Mishkov, how do you expect the Matt Vey Mishkov factor to impact proceedings tomorrow night? It's going to be fascinating to watch who, who uh, you know, who takes the plunge there. I mean, I, you know, we haven't seen him a ton, right, because he hasn't played, you know, at some of the, the more uh, the milestone events that you have, World Juniors, because of obviously geopolitical events and what's going on in the world. But he has Play, you know, teams have seen him, and there is the ability to watch video, and they saw him in the, you know, at the uh, under-18s a couple of years ago when he lit it up. And, they're, you know, the teams are, I'm sure, especially the teams that are in position to make a pick like that are doing their due diligence. The fact that he wouldn't be available to come over here for a couple of years, I think, plays into some of this. I mean, if you're a manager that is in a situation where maybe you might not be here in three years, I mean, that might play into your thinking. We saw you know, what happened with uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Now, he was a later pick, right? He's a fifth-round pick, so there probably wasn't as much, you know, you're drafting someone in the fifth round, you're almost, you're, you are taking a little bit of a flyer on them. But that was the Chuck Fletcher, Minnesota Wild-led team. Then, you know, two GMs later, when Billy Guerin was the GM, that Kaprizov arrived and became a factor. So the situation for each of those clubs might dictate who, who takes a shot at him. He's by all accounts, a talented player. I know watching when he did play in that under-18 a couple of years ago, I, I mean, he, he lit it up as a 15-year-old, so he was on par with what Connor Bedard was doing in that tournament. So I'll be curious to see who takes the shot at him because there are, you know, there are the fact that he can't be here for three years is something that, uh, you know, contractually at least, is something that, you could, that would have would concern me. 
But uh, if you're thinking about it, you better have done all your due diligence and, you know, you go from there. But he's, uh, by all accounts, a really talented player. So I'll, I'll be curious to see. I think he could go any – you know, everybody says Washington is kind of the fault line at eight that he won't get past there. I would imagine that's probably that's probably true because he's just a, such a talent that, that teams are going to be willing to take a flyer at some point. But I'll be fascinated to see who does do it. Yeah, someone will be lurking, I would imagine. He is the uh, not the lone variable, but the most exciting or intriguing variable on the eve of draft yeah. night. Uh, EJ, this was fun this morning. Uh, enjoy what should be a very, very, very busy week in the NHL and an entertaining one at that. No question about it. And you guys have some fun tomorrow with those uh, with Doug, uh, Doug Gilmore and company. It sounds like a good morning for you as well. So have fun. Oh, we will. Thank you so much. That's EJ Raddick, senior reporter at the NHL Network. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Not just uh, Dougie and Dion and Naz. It felt like the fitting guys to get in there uh, also can't tell you. We'll talk to Roger Clemens. Jose Bautista, the man himself, Joe Carter, and this one floored both of us. Uh, Dan Marino will be up here for some reason. Cannot wait to talk to him as well. The Joe Carter Classic really is the celebrity event of the summer in Toronto. I didn't know this until we saw the guest list, but I always understood it was like a big thing. Yeah. But when you go through the guest list and people that are going to be there that were not going to talk to (laughs) or we don't know if we're talking to yet, uh, it's pretty obvious that no event draws celebrities quite like Joe Carter's charity golf event. And if I can get just one one-thousandth of the gift basket, I'm sure I would be a happy, happy man. We'll be so sniffing around hey, for sure. You just put stuff in the atmosphere, maybe it comes back to you. It's hey, like uh, a boomerang. Maybe I, it comes back, maybe not. Uh, hopefully it does. I, got, to, I yeah. got great news here. Uh, the great guests continue, and they continue right now, with J.P. Ricciardi, the former Blue Jays general manager who works for the San Francisco Giants, who are in town tonight. So we will catch up with J.P., on the other side of the break, that is next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we were too busy yelling and screaming about Bob Bradley to remind you to get your Wake and Rake submissions in. So feel free to do that now if you'd like. We got a couple in there <laughs> once again because we got dedicated people that don't need prompting. No. But if you want to get involved on another abbreviated wake and rake, uh, go ahead and do that now. But for now, let's get to our next guest. J.P. Ricciardi, former Blue Jays manager and current special advisor for the San Francisco Giants in his fifth season with the Giants. Good morning, J.P. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, we are doing pretty good. So t- give us the lowdown on the San Francisco Giants just a little bit. What's gone right here? Your half game up on the Dodgers, a couple of games back of Arizona, winners of eight of your last 10. What's really been uh, a positive here for the Giants so far this season? I think the pitching has been uh, re- has really done a good job for us. I think uh, Gabe and the staff have really got these guys to buy into what is needed on a, a daily basis, and uh, the camaraderie on the club is good. And I think it goes a long way. We have a good clubhouse, uh, some timely hitting right now. But I think our starting pitching and the depth of our bullpen has really come forward in the last four or five weeks and has enabled us to, you know, be able to hang in there and get through some injuries. But, uh, you know, as you guys know, when you have quality starting pitching that can give you a chance every night, you you know, you got a chance to win some games. So, you know, right now we're getting close to the halfway mark and we're playing well and hopefully it will carry over. 
Yeah, a great lineup can carry you through the season, of course, as well. But there is there's not anything quite like when you got four or five guys you just love that you're giving the ball to every single day, uh, and you always feel like you have a you have a puncher's chance, right? Because a lineup you need so many guys to be going on any given day. Uh, but with great starting pitching, you're really just uh, counting on that that one guy. One other thing you mentioned in your answer there was a great clubhouse, and I, I love picking baseball people's brains on this because on one hand you could say chemistry matters the least in baseball out side of a pitcher catcher battery or you know an infield duo uh, turn in double plays there is not a lot of actual on-field interaction between players but it's also the sport where guys spend the most time around each other they basically live with each other all day how important is it to have a good clubhouse and what exactly does that mean to you and has your opinion of that kind of evolved as you've gone on your baseball journey I think, uh, as you guys can probably relate to in your work environment, when everybody gets along and everybody cares about the next guy, it always creates a better environment to work in. And I think, you know, when you come to the ballpark, like you mentioned, this you're together so much. Uh, when you care about the guy inside of you, when you don't care about yourself and you're willing to sacrifice and do some things so the team can win, uh, it goes a long way. And it's not like that everywhere. You'd like to think it is, and you'd like to think in all professional sports it's like that but it doesn't happen. And when it does happen, it's very special and it really gets you through some tough times. So I think the quality of the players that you have is, is a credit to Farhan Zaidi, our, our president of baseball operations. And I think Gabe and his staff have really cultivated a good culture where the guys feel uh, they're informed. They know what's going on. Um, and, and in today's game, I think it's important that the players know where they stand and what's expected of them. And, I think when you get that, you're going to get the best out of your players. And I think, uh, you know, we've done a very good job of creating that type of atmosphere. Well, there's a player that links these two franchises that's a big part of Clubhouse and Clubhouse uh, vibes, uh, and that would be Brandon Belt, who came over to the Blue Jays in free agency. And we've been kind of experiencing a little bit of that. We kind of understand what he can bring to a clubhouse and how he can improve the atmosphere in the in the clubhouse, in addition to be, uh, you know, a power left-handed hitter who the Blue Jays sorely needed in the middle of their lineup. But we know just a little bit about him. We know that he loves chicken strips, and we know that he likes to call himself the most valuable player, the most valuable belt. Uh, but what do we not know yet about Brendan Belt? What makes him such a good teammate? What makes him such that he's part of two World Series winners? What makes Brendan Belt truly Brendan Belt? I think the nice thing about uh, Brendan is that he doesn't get too high and he doesn't get too low. And, and I think with a veteran player, uh, younger players are attracted to that. I think he understands that, you know, the game is going to have some times when it eats you up and there's going to be some times when you're on top. But I've never seen him in, in a spot where he's pounding his chest when he's going good or he's got his head down when he's going bad. And I think the way he carries himself as a professional, uh, people in the clubhouse see that and they, they feed off it. And I thought he was a really nice addition for the Blue Jays and uh, not only a quality player, but a quality person. Yeah, and the, the left-handed bat was obviously the thing they were circling, but this goes back to the conversations, you know, surrounding the team last year was just getting a little bit different of a mental makeup, and obviously a player like Belt who has experienced everything he has, you know, it's uh, kind of very similar to the George Springer ad they made a, a couple years earlier, and just wanting an experienced player who who had played in, in big, big moments. You know, one other thing, uh, kind of bigger picture thought I, I wanted to get your thought on is just the way the game is changing, and no, I'm not talking about the pitch clock, uh, obviously 
that's been a big change, but it seems like we are on a run for, I don't know, almost maybe a decade is too long, but of a decade straight of every single year, we have an incredibly exciting new young player. And maybe it's not just one, but you understand where I'm going with this. Be it Vladdy, be it Shohei. You see everything that Dela Cruz is doing with the Reds this year. Julio Rodriguez was this guy last year. What do you think it's meant to baseball to have players? And there have been young, great players before. It just felt like they were spaced apart almost by a generation. It seems like every year we're getting one, two, three of these bright young talents injected into the game. Why do you think it is that players are able to succeed and arrive earlier? And what do you think it means for baseball that they're able to do that? That's actually a good question. And I think it's cyclical. I think if you go back to the fifties and the sixties, you know, you had Aaron and you had Mays and you had that group, uh, you know, which I, I'm, I'm, that's my favorite time of baseball. <laughs> when I grew up with baseball, I, I tend to think that the, the Aaron's and the Mays's and the, the Cepedas and the McCoveys and, and that generation, the benches and the roses. I, I thought that that was the greatest time of baseball, but obviously I'm partial to it. But I think, you know, you're seeing what, what the possibilities are in baseball. You know, so many Latin American players, so many players coming over from Asia now. Uh, and I think the international player is, is bringing a lot of excitement to the game. So I, I think it's cyclical. I think, uh, you know, like you said, there was a period there where there wasn't this many type, uh, this type of player coming through uh, with so much frequency. But I think right now it's, it's great for the game. It's great for the younger generation to see these guys and relate to them. And the game is different. You know, there's home runs hit now and guys that's flipping their bats and celebrating. And that did not happen in the 60s and the 70s. So I think our game is becoming more attractive to younger players. But I think baseball is doing a very good job of recognizing young international talent and, and, and obviously signing it. And of course, the Blue Jays have a couple young stars on their team. They're, you know, they're they're getting towards veteran status and Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But guys still playing for that big, big uh, first initial contract, and it makes the Blue Jays an interesting uh, case study for executives and media and onlookers because you're trying to navigate the potential for two whopping contracts, contracts, two guys who could be the cornerstones of a franchise or could be the one pillar of an organization to continue to build around for over 10 years. And, you know, uh, the financial uh, question and the financial dynamic and all that stuff is sort of set aside. But when you look at Bo and Vlad, how unique is this scenario where the Blue Jays are kind of just testing the waters with two players and not necessarily deciding who they want to invest into the future, but making sure they're right in their assessment on two young guys who are still in the process of defining themselves? Well, I mean, it's a great problem to have. you got two really, really good players, uh, and they're not around them a lot, but just watching them play, they look like they love to play. They play with a lot of energy. I love the emotion. Um, I guess uh, I guess it comes down to how much money Rogers wants to spend, but uh, you know, the sad part is these two guys, you'd love to see them stay in Toronto their whole career. Uh, unfortunately, in our game, it doesn't seem like that happens now uh, because of what's out there in free agency. But you've got two cornerstone players that could be an anchor to your organization for a long time, you know, which is a credit to the, to the scouts and the player development people who found these guys. And obviously, they're in the big leagues performing. So it's a great, it's a great problem to have. Uh, and it just really comes down to you know ownership and what they want to do. But to keep those two guys around would be 
I think, really beneficial to having uh, a foundation for the Blue Jays going forward because they're such great players. Yeah, and that's what great teams have, right, is they have these tentpole players that can kind of carry them through different eras. And, you know, it leads me right where I kind of wanted to ask you is we talked about what it means for a team like the Blue Jays to add a guy like Brandon Belt. And it's funny, I had to look this up as when to, when this player left your organization. But a guy like Madison Bumgarner, you know, what does it mean to lose a, a player like that? And again, I, I, you know, not to bring up the past, but just the idea of this guy was everything, you know, starting or closing out World Series on bare, bare any rest and taking the ball and he was a pitcher who raked before we we knew they could do that when Shohei came over what does it mean you know I understand how important it is to add players like that but what does it do to a franchise to kind of try to replace one when when there is a moving on well I think you know every great player uh has a finish line and I think an organization has to be uh, aware of when they think that finish line is for the player and, and, you know, when it's time to probably say goodbye to the player. And I think in, in Madison's uh, case that, you know, for us, it was probably time for us to let him try to experience something else. So I think my, my answer to you would be, it's great to have these guys, but when they're not in their prime, obviously it can be a detriment. So it's important to, to realize when you think the player is going to be a declining player. And it's, you know, the old saying is better to trade a player a year early than a year late. So <laughs> I think it's important to have that quality player in your locker room. But if they're not that quality player anymore, talent wise, you know, it's not, you're not getting the same return. So the NL West, of course, is no slouch. You got three teams, uh, nine games at least above 500, and one team below 500 has a whole lot of talent on it. But the American League East uh, is still probably the standard in team in terms of divisions this year. And you've seen a lot of American League beasts. But when you look at this group of teams that the Blue Jays are scrapping it out with this season, uh, is is there no comparison? Is this a historically great division when you uh, look at it from the lens that you have out there on the West Coast? Well, I think it's a great division. I think it's always been a great division just because of the resources that everybody has in that division. Um, I don't know if it's as strong as the early 2000s. Uh, I think the Yankees and the Red Sox back then were the showcase teams. I mean, winning 90 to 100 games, scoring over 1,000 runs, Hall of Fame players. Uh, I think the division was a little tougher beating those top two teams back then. Uh, but I think now the division is deeper. And uh, I, I think that's what saves the division is you don't have to play it as much as you did in the past. The, the schedule has allowed you to do that. But it's a strong division. It's always been a strong division. Um, I mean, you look at the Red Sox, their payroll's in the top probably 15, and they're in last place in the division. So it just goes to show you that the, the, the power and the strength is still there. And it's going to be a tough division to uh, to win, but I also think, it's going to be a division that maybe has three teams in the playoffs out of it, which is, which is a compliment to how strong it is. Yeah, ironically, the Blue Jays need some more of those division games because uh, they had a tough start inside the division. And uh, in order to make up ground, you might have to uh, win those games exclusively against ALE's competition in order to improve your standing. Before we let you go, JP, and you've been gracious with your time, got to ask you about Kevin Gosman. Uh, left San Francisco, winds up in Toronto on a free agent deal, and he's been everything to this franchise uh, since he came over. Uh, can you compare and contrast the guy that first showed up in San Francisco after some, some a bit of a difficult uh, start to his career at times and the guy and the pitcher that he is right now, a workhorse for the Toronto Blue Jays? 
Well, I think you see this in the course of a lot of players' careers. You know, they start off, they get to the big leagues, they're, you know, up and down type of players. They're figuring stuff out. Uh, then they start to figure it out. They start to have a little success. And then by that point, you know, they become free agents. And, and probably the third team is the team that reaps the benefits that is able to take advantage of the, the upside that he has in front of him. And I think that's what Kevin is. I think he got to the big leagues and he kind of kicked around and kind of figured out what he was. He got over to San Francisco, figured out some things, you know, without pitching people and really started to maximize what he could do. And then before you know it, you look up and he's a free agent. And I think the Blue Jays made a great sign with him. He's a really good guy. He's a good pitcher. He's a great competitor. And, uh, you know, he's everything you're looking for when you want to put a number one on somebody and have him be the head of that staff. So, you know, I think timing with signing some of these guys is, is the is so important. And I think in his case, you guys hit him at the right time. So I think you're getting the best of Kevin, and maybe we got the start of the best of him. Uh, but I'm happy to see him doing well because he's a quality guy. Well, we appreciate you helping initiate uh, the best of Kevin Gosman because uh, he's been very, very important uh, to this franchise. Hey, JP, this was a lot of fun catching up this morning. Uh, enjoy your time in Toronto, assuming you are here. But if not, enjoy the next couple ball games ahead with the Giants and Blue Jays. We appreciate you coming on this morning. Okay, guys, thanks for having me. Take care. That's JP Ricciardi, former Blue Jays general manager and current special advisor for the San Francisco Giants. Love the accent. A lot of good info in there, but just love a good, good Massachusetts, New England accent. And it did get me thinking uh, for whoever I offered to buy a coffee in Boston this morning, uh, the writer that inevitably uh, put oh, Connor right, McDavid right. Yep, fifth. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, just talk or to Calgary. G- or Calgary. But if you're in Boston, mm-hmm. talk to JP. He's got it covered, he said. So there you go. There you go. Uh, Blue Jays back in action, of course, tonight on Sportsnet. Uh, it will be Ryan Walker for the Giants and Kevin Gosman on the bump. For the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I guess we can transition then into the wake and rake, assuming we might have a little Blue Jays discussion. Let's hit that now. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. So the Blue Jays are minus 165 favorites tonight with Kevin Gosman on the mound. Over under set at eight and a half. The run line plus 115 if you want to go Blue Jays by two runs or more. My pick is not from the Blue Jays no, game. Anything stand out to you? Do you want to ride Gosman tonight? No, I think it's tough. Yeah, the under is tough, even though you love Gosman. Giants can hit, you know, it gets to the pen, you can lose it late. Just a stay away from me, betting-wise. Love Gosman on the bump, always feel good about it, uh, but everything else, just not not one I want to dabble in. Yeah, and admittedly, the Giants are not really on the television much for me, or on Sportsnet now much for me, given that they are a West Coast team, and I'm mm-hmm. not staying up much to watch uh, the Giants just yet. Here's, here's what you do when, you, when you're when you like that. You just say the name of the manager. So in this case, Gabe Kapler has those go, those boys playing baseball yeah. is what you say. <laughs> and you sound really informed. Yeah, I just want to be a little bit more informed before we make a pick maybe tomorrow okay. or the yeah, next we day. That. We'll see the Giants I'm just, I'm just at least saying, one If you want to fake it, that's the recipe. Tonight. Uh, and we did that today <laughs> with Bob Bradley. <laughs> no, that was all impassioned. I might be wrong, but there was zero faking from me. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to go to the Gold Cup in Canada. We've been talking. We talked you. to Atiba Hutchinson earlier. Uh, we've been talking about the pick. issues. I'm going to assume that the issues are not going to plague them tonight against Guadeloupe. They were minus 700 favorites on the money line. It's now down to minus 600. Uh-oh. So obviously I can't play them on the money line. But what I'm going to do is play them to win and both teams to not score minus 175 is my play. So how Canada to win in a shutout. Okay. So you, you got to score to win. Score a penalty. 
penalty win? How did no no no? I'm no, just no. confused. How can Canada they win if nobody win, scores? Both teams to score no. So oh, one team scores. Gotcha. Okay, that right. team being Canada. Okay. So Canada basically to win and to keep a clean sheet is minus one seventy five tonight against Guadeloupe in the Gold Cup. And I feel like uh, you know minus seven hundred favorites now minus six hundred. Probably a good chance they'll keep a clean sheet. I feel only two percent more informed about the uh, this iteration of the Canadian soccer team than I do the San Francisco uh, Giants. So uh, okay. you know I'm with you there. Uh, I'm going to uh, two baseball teams, one of whom who I have watched play a game this year, several actually, Diamondbacks and Rays under eight and a half. Give that to me. Uh, the Diamondbacks got Zach Galen on the bump. He has been nasty this year. The Rays offense, uh, that's the one I'm worried about in that game, not the Diamondbacks. Uh, so the fact that they got to have their hands full with a pretty talented starter there, uh, I like the under in that game. Not worried about the Diamondbacks running it up. So yeah, give me uh, eight and a half under there. That gives you uh, minus 115. Okay, and we got three Wake and Rake selections in the holster. I'll run through them. Uh, Neil from Newfoundland, two big winners yesterday. With the see both wild money line and win in straight sets. Today he's going again. He could be just messing with me. Challenger Medellin, Frederico Del Bonus, minus three and a half games versus Gustavo Hyde. These two played last week with Del Bonus winning the match 6 0 6 3. Del Bonus, much more experienced and better player. And he's on his preferred surface on clay. So they're still doing clay there in Medellin. Del Bonus, minus three and a half games. Neil from Newfoundland's tennis pick. Uh, we got Chris from Mississauga. He's going Astros money line with Framber Valdez on the bump against the St. Louis Cardinals. And Corey from Port Hope, he likes Brian Wu over four and a half Ks for Seattle. He's matched up against the lowly Washington Nationals. Anything stand out there for you? I do like the last one the best, but I actually think the best chance of hitting is Neil. The guy's just too confident about tennis. You can't be that confident and be wrong about I stuff. I didn't think you'd often. go there, so I got to quickly no, we, find that. Buddy, I never have a problem with Corey and Port Hope. I just, I'm pretty uh, sure me yeah, and Ailish just it. picked him Friday because he got the text in before either of us showed up to work. Uh, so he deserved it. He's uh, he's all over it. Del Bonus is in plus 471. Canada to win with a clean sheet. The under eight and a half, Arizona and? A uh, raise. Raise. And Frederico Del Bonus. Del Bonis. Minus three and a half games on the hard court or the clay no, court, rather. Not. The clay court. The very slow. The clay court in Medellin. And there the key, you go. as a former sportscaster, uh, I'm sure Simon Bennett uh, over at City News 680 can attest, although he is like, you know, actually good at it, so he doesn't have to fake it with tennis. Just get through it as quickly as possible, and it will sound like it's the right name because outside of Neil, nobody knows. So that is how that works. That's the key uh, to success there. 100%. Okay, so we didn't get through our entire Leafs discussion this morning. We're going to save some of that for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow's a big day. NHL draft. Yes. We're going to the Joe Carter Charity Classic. I'm putting my sticks in the car. An unbelievable amount of guests in the latter portion of the show. So we will get back to our Leafs discussion to start tomorrow. Maybe there's a move. Move, we can get and dive into that. We're going to look to have Ailish Forfar on to help tee up Ooh. the NHL draft. A lot of things going on tomorrow, but what didn't we get to quickly with the Maple Leafs that's top of mind, front of mind for you as we continue to plunge deeper here into NHL draft week? Feels like Mitch Marner is just, just sitting out there like a bobber on the water. Nothing's moving. One other thing we didn't get to today, have to get it in. Uh, the National Bank Open presented by Rogers in the coming years. Will be uh, will be given. I did not expect this. Will be giving out uh, equal prize money for for both the men's and women's tournaments in Montreal. Uh, Nice little pivot by them. 
awesome pivot by me to get that in before the end. And of the we show. are going to be leaning heavily on our guy Neil, especially <laughs> yes. if Del Boney. Yeah. I said that as fast as possible, and I put a little French on it. You I did. No idea why. It sounds uh, but great. But we will though. be uh, leaning on Neil for that, and we'll be leaning on a lot of guests tomorrow. Can't at wait. Joe Carter's Charity Classic. We'll be on site at Glen Abbey. We'll catch up with Ailish Forfar. We'll continue our Leafs discussion. We got a lot to do in a four-hour show on a hump day. It'll be Cuthbert and Gunning again tomorrow. We will chat with you then.